podcast contains mature content. Listener discretion is advised. As a Navy brat, I moved around a lot. I left the continental United States on the way to Okinawa, Japan in 1997. A lot changed in those three years. I was young. There wasn't a lot to assume I knew. Um, But I left in 97, and come April 20th, 1999, I was 14 hours ahead, and none the wiser of what was going on. Of course it was on the news, and of course it was broadcast everywhere. And... The news cycle was a little slower, so it stayed in the news. And of course, of course it did. One of the most massively intense events of recent history. And boy, did the reverberations of that event travel. I didn't come back to the United States until 2000, when I found myself... Settling in around Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. And there were changes. There were changes in the schools. There were changes in how things happened. And not being in the States when it happened, I didn't have a direct connection entirely. But I can tell you that leaving pre-Columbine and coming back to the States post-Columbine. It was coming back to a different country. And everything was exacerbated because 9-11 happened pretty soon after that. And tensions got drawn elsewhere. And although I was young, and although I was not in the States at the time, and I could make plenty of excuses or apologies, I still remember it. And I remember those distinct differences that happened between when I left and when I came back. Nothing was the same, and it never would be the same again. Before we started this Aftermath episode, I just wanted to take the time to say thank you for listening to this episode and to the Columbine episode. I know it's a heavy case. It's sad. It definitely shaped the way the world conducted their business in schools. With that being said, I in no shape or form want to glorify what these two shitbags have done. Now, I've had some other podcasters send me some audio with their thoughts and their feelings and their reactions to this horrific crime. Definitely make sure you take the time to go listen to their shows. Their links will be in the show notes, and I appreciate them for taking the time to to send it over. I have a little bit of an announcement and I definitely want your input and your feedback. So I've been starting to work on a few things in the background. And I want to... It's going to be me and a few other podcasters. We're going to be working on a series on addiction. Now we're going to be bringing you the history of drugs. 
and what their uses were for when they were legal, when they became illegal, the war on drugs, everything. Uh, but we want your stories on addiction. Whether that be you were an addict, you had an addict that was in your family, just your perspective. If you're interested in contributing to this series, please reach out to me, juryroompodcast at gmail.com. Find me on social media. Send me a direct message. This is something that I want to spread far and wide. We're probably looking at early to middle of the year for a release. We're going to start working on the episodes, researching them, writing them, uh, interviewing people. If you are a counselor or an addiction specialist, please reach out to me. I would love to hear from you to get your perspective, to get everything. Again, if that's something you're interested in, juryroompodcast at gmail.com. This is something that I'm going to be hammering on hard over the next few months, and I would love to have your input. With that being said, thanks for listening to The Jury Room. I hope you guys all had a wonderful holiday. I hope that the upcoming holidays bring you nothing but joy and just know that I love you guys and thank you for all of your support. And as always, stay safe and thanks for listening. After the mass shooting at Columbine happened, I remember we had constant active shooter drills. And looking back at that, I never thought about it until way later. But the potential shooter was participating in these drills with us. So they knew if we were going to have a shooter, they were there and they knew the plan. So what good was it really doing? Um, but at first, it was about shutting down the school, locking the doors, getting under the desks and tables, which really, when I think about it, I feel like, okay, now... All of us were trapped inside with the shooter somewhere in the building. And if that were to really happen, it just doesn't really seem like a great strategy now. But at least it was something and I guess they were just trying to do their best and I get it. Um, but they would cut all of the lights off. It was so terrifying. At this point, I was a freshman in high school and... As a collective group of teenagers who had never done this before, we could hear other kids actually screaming, scared to death. Um, they were panicking because they could not take the sounds of the alarms and the lights going off. And knowing they were locked in a room or shoved in a closet area, I can remember that it was just a lot mentally and emotionally for many kids. Um, even for me, I know I started to worry after Columbine, especially after we started the, the drills. I would worry every single day at school about a random kid getting an idea to do something similar. And most of my classes were upstairs, so even though there were windows, if you actually thought about even trying to make a break for it, if, you know, you had a flight or fight response and you thought, okay, maybe sitting here isn't the best idea, maybe I should go out of that window, 
whatever, like you're, you were so high up, you would have never been able to make that jump. So as a person with anxiety and depression, going to school became even worse because now all I'm thinking about is, okay, the stereotype of what a shooter looks like or what are their interests because the media extremely focused on Dylan and Eric's looks and all this other crap. I remember a guy that used to wear a trench coat to school all the time. Black leather to the floor trench coat. And people would say around him like, oh, he looks like a school shooter. Or they would even say that to him, which also just goes to show that people still didn't mind bullying other people. Some kids would even make it known where he could hear them, that they were scared of him. They would yell across the hallway or the room he was in, and they'd be like, oh, stay away from him. And honestly, I'm not going to lie and say that teenage me was super, you know, inviting to the guy in the trench coat and that I would be the nice person who went and sat with him at lunch or anything like that because the the media focused so much on what we should be looking for that it was scary um and just because people would outwardly bully him i think those of us who also judged without getting to know him that's really a big problem too had we never known at all what dylan and eric wore or even what kind of music they listened to, and all of the things that just were not important here. Um, I feel like none of us would probably have been scared of him at that time, especially in the clique um, of people that I was in, because, I mean, we were all like these weird kids, and for us as the outsiders to be side-eyeing anyone, it was so out of the ordinary, but unfortunately, that's how it was, and it wasn't right, and I just feel so bad for that person now when I think back, because we were just ignorant as hell. We shouldn't have judged this kid. We knew exactly what being judged and bullied felt like daily, but we still judged him, and we added to the problem, which isn't cool. I also remember like a year or two after we started doing drills in case of a school shooting, they began to change it up a bit and then started taking us outside. But then we were all looking around at each other like, okay, so now if this ever happens, not only does the potential shooter know the plan because he's here somewhere, right? We're just a free-for-all, and were moving targets, basically. So it was like, okay, maybe they were trying to rethink the staying in the classroom, locked-in kind of situation, but also when you flip that and now we're outside, like, I don't know what really would have been better um, because neither strategy, in my opinion, is better than the other one. But I'm definitely not a professional on how these things should or should not work. So there's that. But I, I mean, it was terrifying and it was so confusing for everybody. They would even have drills that the teachers and students were not sure 
if it was a real thing happening or if it was actually just a drill. So we'd get outside and there would be kids, T9, texting on their Nokia brick cell phones to their parents, like saying, okay, we don't know what's happening. We don't know if this is a drill or not. Um, I remember parents would call the school and some would even come to the school if they were close by. But even in a drill, they weren't allowed to come into the school or know what was happening until it was over. So half of the time, we didn't know if we were experiencing a drill or a potential like threat. On a few occasions, it was said that there were actually like a few of these drills that we did that were because of bomb threats, but basically we would end up finding out that kids were lying so we could miss an hour or so of school and just chill outside. So that's basically what that boiled down to a lot of the time. As far as school shootings after Columbine, I was just reading that in September in Florida, there were two middle schoolers who were planning to shoot up their school and they had created this whole idea on how to do it. Their whole plan was by studying the Columbine school shooting. So there have been many school shootings that we know like since 1999. It's mind-blowing, it's terrifying, and I think what people should be learning from that is to pay attention to the kids in our lives and you know are they truly okay are they being bullied at school we need to listen to the kids in our lives and make sure at the same time that they're also being good to others i'm not at all saying that bullying is an excuse for a kid to go on a shooting spree but at the same time we have kids out here with mental illness you know, emotional issues that are being bullied to the point where they are, for some reason, seeing something like Columbine as a way to make it stop or taking their own lives to make it stop. And that's a problem. I believe they think like something around the lines of, you know, oh, I'll show them not to screw with me anymore. And number one, that's not okay for a child to think that that will quote-unquote solve anything. But you also have to think, for that to be eating away at a child's brain, thinking that killing others is the only option, it's the only way to make those other kids stop hurting them physically, mentally, emotionally. If you really think about how sad and angry especially kids have to get to think of that, that's really, really sad. That is really sad. And it's not at all some kind of excuse. But I think these issues are so much more complicated than we like to think. We don't like to think deep into things like this. We we look at it totally one dimension and we don't talk about the deeper issues there. And I know on your show, on my show, all the time, we are talking about mental health to the point that everyone listening gets it, you know, but obviously not everyone in the world is like understanding that. Everyone in America, they're not understanding that. Um, as a country, 
We need to do better when it comes to mental health and breaking the stigma. And, you know, you would think it was an obvious issue, but, you know, it can't be if this keeps happening. Um, And I know for a lot of people that mental health is either, you know, if you're struggling mentally, it's something to be ashamed of or it's not a priority, or they can't afford it. And that's just definitely something that I feel has to change before anything such as mass shootings or any kind of violence in general in this country, you know, goes on a decline. Hello, and welcome to the jury room, where we dissect some of the most heinous, some of the most unthinkable, and some of the most monstrous crimes to ever scar the earth. From cannibalistic serial killers to decades-old unsolved mysteries, these stories are sinister enough to keep you up at night. Welcome back to another episode of the Jury Room Aftermath. On this episode, we're visiting Columbine. And I remember, you know, as a, as a young, I guess, adolescent, that it was very... It was very devastating to know that these events took place in a school. I remember the school that I was in. I can't exactly remember. I think I was in middle school still, but I think I was also a freshman in high school, so I don't exactly remember. But uh, I remember being locked down, and it was huge news. All the teachers were on edge. It was was definitely a scary event. But before we get to the topic at hand, I'd like to introduce my guests. And today, I've got CJ from Beyond the Rainbow podcast. Um, definitely a pillar in the, within the podcast community. She's helped me out a lot, and I appreciate it. CJ, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hey there, Kevin. How you doing? I'm good. Why don't you introduce yourself, your podcast, and where they can find you at? Well, you did such a fantastic job of introducing me already. But in case no one was listening to you, I'm CJ, and I'm from Beyond the Rainbow podcast. Um, I report crimes that happen to and are committed by the LGBTQ community. Anything you're working on, anything you're excited about, anything upcoming episodes you're, you want to share? Um, I'm actually working on, and this, this just totally flusters me, 49 murders this year of trans women, and that's the highest on record thus far. Do you think potentially that number's higher has been higher before maybe because it wasn't reported maybe? Well, I think that the number 49 this year would be higher if we knew about all of the cases there really were going on right now because you know I hate to say this, but there are a lot of trans people that um are missing you know, I, I see reports for them all the time. And if for some reason they're deceased, we don't know about it, but they, you know, would be added to that number. Right. Do you, being that you cover this kind of, these kind of crimes, and I've, I've seen it maybe since I've gotten into the podcasting community, but do you think the narrative around the LGBTQ community is changing like it's becoming more I I don't want to say acceptable but more widely talked about especially from you know the crimes that are committed against them Mm, I would like to say yes but I don't think I can um 
just because more and more crimes are being committed every day against this community. Right. And that's the, I think though, it's definitely being talked about more, which is definitely helping change the narrative. Maybe just are, a little bit. Are you bit. sure you're not just saying that because we're friends? Because I'm I, I, I am not. Okay. <laughs> Cause I'm not I'm hearing not. about it. Really. I'm not. Um, and you know, I'll give you a prime example. Um, Kylan and Crystal, the two lesbian women that were wives and they were murdered in Utah. I'm sorry. Was it Utah? Yes. Moab, Utah. At the very same time, Gabby Petito was uh, reported missing. There would have been hardly any coverage for Kylan and Crystal had Gabby not been reported missing. So I really don't think that the, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be, um, I, I'm not even sure the word for it, but I, I'm not trying to say that, oh, nobody loves us, the LGBTQ plus, but in all honesty, I just don't see the LGBTQ plus getting the same kind of coverage as other groups might be. And that's Especially fair. Blonde white people. <laughs> right. And that's, uh, don't even get me started on the Gabby Petito thing. I, I felt, I don't know. There was a lot of disgust I felt this year with that whole case. Now I'm thankful for her family. Her family got answers. That's awesome. I'm glad for them. Uh, but as far as the way that the media took and ran with it, hell, even the podcast community, um, just everywhere it was in my opinion just it was disgusting to see it yeah, happen i have to agree with that yes and there you know i have unfollowed um uh, a couple of the the podcasts who have inspired me um because they took and ran with it too and it's just it's not at that point and but it also makes me sad because there's a tons of uh missing women children murders that happen every day that don't even get an ounce of coverage. And unfortunately, in my opinion, I think because she was this beautiful blonde blue eyed girl, um, that the, the media kind of ran with it. You know, I have to be honest to me, that's a double edged sword because my daughter is blonde and blue eyed and beautiful. And right. should something happen to her, I know that she'd be across the media. Right. But at the same point, there's so many black women that have gone missing and they're just not getting reported on. And why? Why is that? Right. Indigenous women, too. I mean, indigenous you see women. Indigenous I think, I think women people are, of color. Right. And, and I was just going to say black trans women definitely right. fall into that category of, right. of but, under announced right and that's the that's the hard part with being in in you know in the true crime community or just in general just the media is they pick and choose the narratives man and it's it's hard to to sit by and just watch all this injustice you know what i mean because there's a lot of it and before i got into the podcast community i was really ignorant to a lot of it i didn't know what was going on i yeah, i'm a white male that i don't have 
I'm sorry, I, my struggles aren't the same as somebody right. of color. You know what I mean? Mine are, you know, minute compared, you know? So, but now that I've been in the community and, and I research these cases and so on and so forth, it, it makes me sad to realize that there is such an injustice going on out there. Well, you know, I, I think um, being part of the LGBTQ plus community, I definitely can be more empathetic with the different groups that are not seen and not shouted about in the media. Right. Because I'm not what a has white been... man. <laughs> I thought you were, though. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> What has been your experience? Like, have you struggled throughout your life being a part of that community? Or is that something that, I mean, what's been your experience on that? A part of my community? Mm -hmm. I think my community has been very accepting. Um, I, I struggled more with my family and, um, you know, uh, getting them to accept me. But then I found out it wasn't that they weren't accepting of me. They actually just didn't like my partner of 18 years. And that's the hard and part. What are you right? going to do about that? Right. <laughs> that's, and it's usually the family. That's the hardest part, right? Right, right. Just to get so off topic. But anyway, CJ, again, thanks for coming on. We're going to talk sure. about Columbine. You bet. Um, what you and I had talked a little bit beforehand. You're an educator, correct? Or you've been an educator at some I point in your life? I was um, a, a daycare director of a very large facility in Sacramento. Uh, we had 18 different programs on campuses, school campuses. Um, and mine had probably 175 children enrolled. That doesn't mean that's oh, how many okay. we had daily. Right. But we did have that many enrolled. And they were from the ages of five to 13 and and we operated all year long school year as well as summer now were you did were you doing this say during this time of columbine or was this after the yes. fact oh it was no during. i I've, I've actually worked with children for 30 years since i was a teenager and oh, okay. uh, this, i was working this job uh when columbine happened and it changed everything Columbine did everything the way the schools did everything. What was the immediate changes that you saw within the school walls? <sighs> Probably the intruder alert um, drills that they did for the children. And it was scary. It was very scary. Did they do lockdowns like lockdown drills more and such? I think the lockdowns came a little bit later after the intruder drills. They had kids out on the playground and uh, a bell would ring and the teacher had to lead them through the playground doing like um, zigzags to avoid shots is essentially what they were doing to get to where they needed in the classroom. So, wow. so they wouldn't like, you know, run together as a mob. They wouldn't go in a line together. Right. It was more like a, a, a snake slithering. Wow. It's very interesting. Right. And I remember being in school, we would do lockdown drills where they would lock everybody down. An administrator would come through and yes. do a head count and 
that but we never did you know nothing like that where we would run but you know what i mean in this exact pattern but that makes sense do they were did they force you guys to have more conversations with the children about the potential of there being an active shooter in my program no but they possibly did with the teachers and i know as a parent i did a lot of talking to my daughter she she was um just when she was entering kindergarten, I had to talk to her about, you know, if one of your friends brings a gun to school and is showing it around, what do you do? And she knew that she needed to go tell. And I said, what happens if one of your friends brings a gun to school, pulls it out of their backpack and starts shooting? And I, and it, this just is heartbreaking. I had to teach her, you lay down and pretend you're dead. How do you do that with a five-year-old? Without without scaring them. Right. It, it was just something we, we continually talked about, though. So she wasn't fearful so much, She but she had it in her head. That's exactly what she needed to do. Right. And that's something that's, you know, definitely good advice is to definitely keep that dialogue open for your child. So in case, heaven forbid, they're ever in that situation, they're able to not forget what they've been taught. You know what I mean? Right. What about when you were a kid? Did you guys ever have any threats like this? Um, like back when you were in school? That was a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can't make old jokes if I can't. It's because it's about me. It's like, you can't say shit about my mom, but I can. You know that rule. <laughs> Um, back when I was a kid, uh, I don't remember having any kind of, maybe fire drills. Yes, definitely fire drills where we had to walk out to like the sidewalk and turn around and face the school, which I thought was stupid. But <laughs> Let's watch the motherfucker burn. Right. <laughs> um, I don't even remember bomb drills or anything like that. And And now they have all kinds of different drills. Yeah, that's, it's insane what one event has inspired. And it's not just, you know, from the aspect of keeping the children safe. I mean, there's been countless numbers of lunatics that have praised these two assholes to then go out and, you know, create more chaos and more mayhem. And it's, it's ridiculous. Well, that's not surprising to me. I mean, look at all the people that, um, will write to serial killers and worship them and lead their love to them. People are just kind of jacked up. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. And I definitely right. agree. And it's one of those things. I think it's that just that fascination that people have with the dark side of humanity. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. I personally don't understand it because you're not going to catch me writing to any serial killer. Right. Well, what's your what's your motivation for covering like true crime? Is it just to give the victims the voice or you, you know what I Most mean? Definitely. Are you fascinated by it? Um, it's not, you know, fascinating it's because, is a hard word to use, right? Well, it is, but it is intriguing. And I ever since I was young. A, a child. Let me tell you a little story, if that's okay. Absolutely. When I was about six, seven years old, 
Um, I we always had the rotary phones. Do you know what I'm talking about? The old fashioned phones that would ring. I'm I'm old enough to know what the stuff is, but I was like it's right on the cusp of it. not using it. Right. <laughs> okay. Well, when I was little, we had the old fashioned rotary phones, and every time it would ring, I was about six, seven, eight. I'd be all excited to be the first one there to get the phone. One time I answered it and there was a man's voice and the man was saying some very sexual, raunchy things that he was going to do to me and then kill me. And Holy shit. you know, <laughs> so life went on. I became an adult and I totally forgot about it. Right. Then Joseph D'Angelo, you know who I'm talking about? The Golden State Killer. He was captured through DNA and he was active in Carmichael in Sacramento. I grew up in Carmichael. I heard a clip of that man's voice talking to one of his victims. And I swear to you, Kevin, I, everything just came flooding back from when I was little and got that phone call. My my mom at the time when I was little, she tried to convince me it was just the boy across the street. I was a he was a teenage boy and I was friends with his little brother. Uh-huh. It was just him and his friend prank calling. No, it didn't sound like a, a teenager. It sounded like a man and it sounded like Joseph D'Angelo. Creepy, That's crazy. Huh? That is insane. And because I'm from the Carmichael, Sacramento area, we had Richard Chase, the vampire killer, Dorothea Puentes, um, the old lady that uh, took all every would kill her victims, the people that lived with her, and take their social security checks and bury them in her backyard. Hello. <laughs> so Sacramento's had a lot of notorious killers. Um, from where I'm from, serial killers. And that has always piqued my interest and got me into true crime. That, that was the taste of it for me. But as, as far as uh, the LGBTQ community, I started listening to um, true crime podcasts about three and a half, four years ago, uh, due to one of my friends who said, have you ever heard a podcast? And I had no idea what one was. And she said, oh, I have some great ones. I love true crime. And I'm all, yeah, yeah, yeah. Give them to me. (laughs) So when I'd go on walks with my dog and I'd listen and I just fell in love with them. But I noticed that the true crime podcast, they they would throw in a sprinkling here and there every month or two or three or six of an LGBTQ story. And I'm all, hmm, that really doesn't do it for me. And I had not heard of any of the true crime podcasts that were doing strictly LGBTQ plus at the time. So I thought there's my niche. There's your niche right there. I like it. it. Yeah. No. And that's, that's good though. Cause I mean, there is, they definitely deserve a voice and you should definitely tell it. You know what I mean? It's definitely something that it needs to be covered more. The narrative needs to change a lot more than what, than what it has when I was a kid you know growing up it was you didn't see many openly homosexual people you know what I mean it it wasn't as widely accepted I had it in my life I had some aunts and uncles who had neighbors who were gay um who lived together in you know but 
again, even my mom was, you know, ignorant to the fact of it and she didn't really explain it to us as a kid. You know what I mean? So it's something that I've, you know, learned and lived, you know what I mean? Over the years to be like, there's nothing wrong with those. There's nothing wrong with anybody. We're all, you know, here living the same life, just different footsteps, you know? Right. So, um, but back to Columbine. So where do you remember like were there was there a lot of fear amongst the teachers or did you did you not get that side of it you know I really I don't remember I I just remember the fear with the children uh it would freak them out these school alarm bells that would go off and I think um what my my particular school I was at was called Sutterville and the principal came up with a code word that she would announce when we were having a drill uh, so the kids wouldn't freak out, but the teachers would know, ah, okay, I got to get them moving in under their desks or, um, and this is what they did. They would lock the, the classroom doors, they'd turn off the lights and everybody would lay down on the floor under their desks. Um, so we worked at Sutterville. I worked at Sutterville. The code word was, or the code phrase was, Mr. Sutter is on campus. Please come to the office. And and that's when the teachers knew, okay, we got to go into action. And like I said, if the kids were out on the playground with their teacher, that's when they did the, the snake the, the run. The snake to get them back to, inside. To get them into their classroom. Wow. Or into that's... a bathroom and lock the door. Right. And which is definitely, I mean... I could see how that's that's is the right thing to do. Get them as low as possible so that way they're not Visible. a standing target. You know what right. I mean? Right. Right. That's crazy. And it's sad too because this one event has triggered so many more school shootings, mass shootings. I mean, these two have it, become I, I, a martyr almost. I have to tell you, Kevin, it, it surprises me that there have been so many more because it also seemed like as soon as Columbine happened, many schools, especially high schools and some middle schools, were starting to put in metal detectors and guards at the entrances so the kids couldn't get in without uh, their backpack and them going through some kind of metal detector to see if they were carrying. Right. And that's the crazy part is I I didn't experience that the schools when by the time I got out of school, they hadn't put any of that in. It's still crazy to think that even with metal detectors and guards, which typically the guards are usually off duty police officers or, you know, school resource officers, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That they're still able to get it in, though, but it's it's one of those things that when when somebody's bound and determined to do something, unfortunately, they're going to find a way. Right. Like locking your doors that somebody wants in bad enough, they're going to get in. Right. No matter what the, no matter how big the lock is that you put on the door. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because I remember, because I was originally from Arizona and I moved in 2012. I don't remember the year. It was like 2010. No, 2011. I want to say when Gabby Giffords was shot um, and all those people at the grocery store was shot that happened in Tucson, which is originally where I'm from. And it was crazy, man. Like they, people were going nuts and he just, he, 
he pretty much just lost his mind and you know what i mean and she was like on just on the campaign trail i think or just you know going to the grocery not she wasn't shopping but she was doing like a outreach to the community type thing and he walked up and shot her and, and it was it was surreal the girl i was dating at the time was in um the media she was uh, uh she worked for a radio station so she had to report on it and she's texting me and she's like this is insane like and that was really my first the closest i've ever been uh to some kind of like mass violence type thing you know and it was it was crazy, crazy. it was it, it was insane yeah sounds like it yeah so but these two have definitely have become a mar- martyrs i think in that but this was right before I couldn't even imagine if there was actual video of this. I know there's security footage, but could you imagine what would have happened if it this was the first time it happened in the day and age now where we have cell phones and we literally take pictures and video everything? Do you ima- imagine the fallout from that? Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. No, just that they, uh, Dylan and Eric from Columbine, they pretty much changed life as far as we know it in the school districts, at least where I'm from in California. They've changed a lot of things. I mean, you've got the Aurora shooter who, who credited you know what i mean columbine you have the virginia tech shooter who credited columbine you have um because they were such wonderful guys right you know the um the guy in california um can't think of his name elliot elliot rogers um he credits columbine you know and that's the the crazy part is that they've they've almost changed pop culture. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's insane. It, it's sad. It's sad, really. And it's sad that these boys got to this point. Why, why they were really being bullied? Why did the school step in? Why don't schools step in more often? Because y- you know what? There's a lot of suicides that go on because schools do not step in when kids are being bullied and and it's just not right. The school is with these kids most of the time, five days a week for it, it. It just, I'm blown away that the schools that are with these kids five days a week for six to eight hours a day, aren't noticing that shit's going on in these kids life and they're being picked on. And that the, they're not doing anything about it. I agree you know? 100%. That's the other thing, too, is is a lot of people, you know, say that bullying doesn't exist. And it's like, dude, it does. Kids oh, are yeah, ruthless, man. They are brutal to each other all day long. And if you don't fit in, then you're, you know that you don't fit in and you're an outcast. That's true. Right? That's so, true. And that's, you know, and the other thing too is the the aspect on, you know, mental health. Obviously, I don't want to say I wasn't there, but there had to have been some kind of signs 
to to alert their parents you know that they were can you know what i mean that they were coming up with something like this you you would think so you your parents deny it but you would think so um, you know see i'm i'm looking at it from the other way about the bullying um the kids that have taken their own lives because of it because i did an episode on lgbtq youth suicide and um, it's funny because they blame the kids that took their lives for not having mental help. But what about the kids that are bullying? They're really the ones that need the mental health help. So I think the kids that's... Okay, so Dylan claimed that he was being bullied. They needed to find the kid that was bullying or the kids that were bullying him right then and there and have that kid or those kids seen by some kind of therapist, school therapist. Right. That's where the problem is stemming the bullies. It's not coming from the victims. But yet this elevated to a point where the victims of bullying became the problem. And they became a problem in a very devastating way by killing many, many kids. Right. I mean, it's some adults. Yeah, there was one adult and there was a lot of people who lost their lives in this and needlessly. And then you bring up a good point right there is I go back to the to the thought process and, and it's in media constantly and you see it on social media, but there's always victim blaming. Right. Yep. It's always yeah. the woman's fault. She's she were she wore something provocative. She did right. this. You know, he did that. They it's always the victim's fault. And it, look at that, Kristen Smart. Same. Right. They're, they're doing that with her. Right. And it's so infuriating because and it's funny because yesterday I was watching um, I watched The Ripper on Netflix mm-hmm. and it was about, you know, the Yorkshire Ripper in England and all that. Oh Which my is Jack god, the I was... Ripper, right? No, this is the oh, one different. during the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um so this guy, well it wasn't that guy, but the police, it I know it was a different time and people hate to hear that, but it was and I understand the culture might have been a little bit different, but it was this guy was killing sex workers, right? And so what did the police do? They enacted a ban on women, not a ban, I shouldn't say that, a curfew on women. So that way they didn't get killed at night. And okay, I I get the logic of that. Why the fuck are they being punished when they're not the ones killing people? Like, I don't, it's the same thing. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's crazy. It's, it's, it's crazy how it's always the bullying victim's fault, but not the bully's fault. Yep. That's the truth. And that's the, it's, I don't know. It's definitely a flawed logic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I have to agree with you on that one. But all right, CJ. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. This has been. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. We're definitely well, gonna have fun. to do it again. Oh, we talked about killing. That's not that fun, but <laughs> it was I'm good to laughing. see you and, and hang you out too. with you for a while. Well, why don't you <laughs> plug plug your podcast again? Tell them where they can find you at. And uh, then we'll say goodbye. Beyond the Rainbow, True Crimes of the LGBTQ+. And Kevin and I are part of a badass network 
a new network that I'm co-founder of called Darkcast Network. Again, you guys are definitely going to have to check out Darkcast. We have announcements coming soon. Uh, we've definitely put up they. I shouldn't say we. I have had no put no say in this. Uh, they have put up a great lineup of podcasts and uh, I'm excited to see where it takes us. Uh, Before we go, CJ, I have one question to ask you. Do you mind answering before we go? I can't marry you because I'm a lesbian. I'm sorry. Damn it. Uh, I have a funny thing. I'm a lesbian now. Oh, okay then. (laughs) (laughs) You're one hairy ass lesbian though. I mean, they have Brazilian waxes. I, I can fix it. I got this. If you could be one sandwich condiment, what would you be and why? <laughs> That's great. Um, I'd be a pickle. Why a pickle? <laughs> well, that's know. interesting. Because uh, I might make you pucker. Oh. <laughs> Well, then, this conversation... Sorry, guys, this is the X-rated version now. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, definitely, definitely go check out CJ and Beyond the Rainbow. Uh, If you haven't already listened, check out Darkcast Network. Um, We, I know they are released... I'm sorry, they're going to have a hard launch in January. Right now, we're kind of putting everything together and... It's, I'm excited to be a part of it. Thanks for having me. And again, thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I remember the day of the Columbine shootings very well. I'm originally from Colorado, and I was living in Wyoming at the time. I was listening to the radio at work when the news broke into the regular radio show. At first, I wasn't sure what I was hearing. I lived near Columbine before I moved away from Colorado. That area is very affluent, and those things didn't happen there. At that time, they didn't happen in my home state. I was devastated. The next thing that came over the radio was that school was closed in Wheatland, Wyoming. My daughter was taken to the park, and I was supposed to go get her. One of the guys at the factory I was working in went to get all of our kids. He brought them all back to the factory. About 10 minutes later, the plant was full of kids. Most of them hung out in the front office, but mine came back to my office. When she came back, I was in tears. I couldn't believe that such a thing had happened in my home state, not even in Denver, but especially not in Littleton. Littleton was quiet and tiny back then. This was the first of many mass shootings in Colorado. It was the end of our innocence. I can't even describe the heartbreak I felt. I didn't know any of those kids, and I was much older. It wasn't the high school I graduated from, but none of that mattered. I was devastated that it could happen in such a safe, affluent part of Denver. A southern suburb known for its quaint shops and restaurants, horse farms, and suburban neighborhoods. I remember my shock and disbelief. How could this happen in Colorado? Colorado had an extremely low crime rate at the time. Nothing ever happened there unless you were trolling Colfax or hanging out in Aurora. Nothing ever happened in Littleton. 
I lived in Littleton for a while, and I used to walk to and from a local restaurant that I liked to go to. Sometimes it would be after dark when I left the restaurant to walk home. I was never afraid, and I never had a problem. The Columbine shootings changed Colorado forever, and it changed Coloradans forever. It broke our hearts. We have recovered and we've survived. We are, after all, Colorado strong. We never forget, and for many, neither can we forgive. We try, but there's just no forgiving the innocence lost. The security that we all felt, it's gone. The things we gained are an appreciation for our first responders, the lessons that we've learned from the shootings and the survivors. We remember the 13 every year, and their parents and siblings still carry torches for their lost loved ones. This episode brought me to tears. The memories washed over me. I want to say so many things, but I still can't imagine that. I didn't know anyone who lived in the area at the time. I didn't know any of the students or their families, but I still can't express my thoughts. I don't know how to express the sadness, the grief, and the utter darkness that I feel whenever I hear about Columbine. I thank you, Kevin, for remembering the victims because they are the most important part of this story. Thanks for listening. And remember, you never know what's lurking in the shadows, lingering around the corner, walking past your house at night. So watch out, stay safe, and keep listening. This has been The Jury Room.